Hallelujah. It's good to be home. It's good to be home. It's good to see Matt Rossiter. Yeah, let me just single him out. Who loves this guy? Everybody. So good to have the Rossiters back, Rand. We love you. But you get it all the time. I mean, she's such a gem. But Matt, you're like in her shadow. So I know how, if there's one thing Matt likes, it's to just be right the center of attention. He's going to kill me after church, by the way. He hates this. But uh, no, we love you guys, and it's so good to have you home. Well, thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for what we get to accomplish today. Thank you for what we're accomplishing together. God, thank you that you've made us into a family, and we're at various stages of, of healing and growth and maturity, but we're together. God, we just praise you that you've, you've made us into a safe home, a safe house, a safe family where we can grow, where we can make mistakes and the people around us won't judge us and hate on us and kick us out, but rather they'll love on us and encourage us and help us to try again and not give up. God, praise you that you've made us a family. Bless us today. Bless this family today with your scriptures that we could do the scriptures with you and together that we could be about our Father's business. Lord, let this word resonate in our hearts and enable me, Lord, to communicate your scriptures as you would desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're on a four-part series, um, and I'm very excited about it. We may add a couple more depending on how much we can fit in, but we're going to be spending at least the next uh, five weeks together. We get a little break because Pastor Leonid from Russia is going to come and share with us the second week of this month. I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. Um, so he will give us an international flavor as a commercial break in the midst of this series. But Jason and I are going to be spending some time now talking about reaching our cities. And we were talking, we were realizing that, uh, that, Jason and I, that you know what, we talk about this all the time. We're engaged in this as a tribe in some very strategic ways. And I know so many of you have come alongside and served, and you're serving in some extraordinary strategic ways to see the whole church take the whole gospel to the whole city. And you're in that. You're in the mix. You're doing that. You have the hearts of mothers and fathers. You're emerging as God's sons and daughters. Your identity is, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, and you're already, you're already in it. But at the same time, we were realizing, you know, I don't know if we've actually talked about this big picture stuff as a point of focus. When was the last time we laid out the vision? And so Jason and I, as we were praying and considering, we decided, you know what? Let's team up and let's lay out the vision. Let's lay out the vision of what we're going to be up to, you know, until Jesus comes. Does that seem like a worthy use of our time? All right, let's jump in. Well, Red's excited. Red, me and you are going to make this happen. We may need to recruit a little, though, so let's, let's talk after the meeting. Since <laughs> Nothing? What is happening here? You guys are sleepy. All right, so let me just begin with this. There, there are, uh, I think... I think there's an obstacle that I want to speak to that I think gets in the way of city reaching. And so I want to actually begin with just a, 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 um, a, a presupposition, no, a foundation. I want to build a foundation for whether or not it's okay for us to engage in this, engaging with our cities. So let's begin with kind of a theological foundation for are we actually supposed to engage in city reaching? And Jeremiah 29, we're going to start with Jeremiah 29, is an extraordinary picture of how God has called his people in exile to work within cities unto his purposes to see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth. So the backdrop for Jeremiah 29 is that they are in exile. Um, Jerusalem has pretty much been obliterated and, and all the Jews have been carried off to Babylon for 70 years. 
And during that time, the prophet Jeremiah sends a message to all of the leaders, all of the key craftsmen, all of those that are the, the, the movers and shakers, the influential people of the city. See, Babylon realized that if they didn't take the influencers, if they didn't take the infrastructure people, the leadership out of the city after they defeated it, the city would recreate itself and get strong again and then, and then fight against them. So what Babylon would do was they would grab all their key people and they would take them to another city and they would culturize them into their city. And that way, that city that they just defeated didn't resurrect. Does that make sense? And so this has happened now with Jerusalem. And so the Jews now are in exile and they're not sure what to do. They're good, you know, they're good God-loving people. They've made some mistakes and they're going through some, some punishment for a whole lot of years of, of naughtiness, but they also believe that God's going to redeem them. Kind of sounds like our story, doesn't it? It's like we, we're a mixed bag. We're growing. We're learning. We fall down occasionally. We've made some mistakes. Let's look at our history, right? In the last few hundred years, have we as the church made a few mistakes? Yes, we have. Um, but we're recovering. We're reforming. We're repenting. We're, we're refreshing. And in the meantime, we know that Jesus is going to come for a pure, spotless bride. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, that sounds good. How then shall we live? And Jeremiah speaks to us. It gives us an example of God speaking to the Jews in that time as they're asking that question. And he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he says this to them, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased, say increased, and not diminished. So in other words, while you're in exile, while you're in this place that has different customs and different cultures and different things going on, the very people that have absolutely obliterated everything that you care about, the leadership is taking things in a different direction that you do not like. Dissatisfaction is at an all-time high. Politics are in a bit of a malaise. And in the midst of it, says the Lord, I want you to increase. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to get married, and I want you to give your children to get married, because I want you to increase while you're there, and I don't want you to diminish. It goes on, and this is beautiful. God says to the people, and I want you to seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For what? Yes, but what, what are they praying? Who, who do they want peace for? The city. God says, I want you to pray for the peace of the city, for in its peace, you will have peace. I like how the NIV says it. He says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What an, amazing, uh, what an amazing concept that God is saying, if the city prospers, then you will prosper. So you need to pray that the city prospers because if it does, you will. And that means the converse is true, that if it doesn't prosper, you won't prosper. So God is saying, I'm giving you permission, righteous ones, that while you're in this city, for as long as I have you in this city, and by the way, I put you in this city, we just saw it in the previous verse, where I have carried you then I want you to grow. I want you to do business. I want you to plant. I want you to marry, and I want you to have babies. And on not only that, I want you to pray that the city prospers. Because if it prospers, you also will prosper. 
But here's the question. I think a lot of us get into sort of a concept of this idea of loving the kingdom, being good people, but I think we end up with a dichotomy, a false dichotomy, in our own hearts of how we're supposed to spend our time that's here. Because we hear different scriptures like, come ye, come ye out and be ye separate. Come on, how many of you know that scripture? It's like, be ye separate. I'm holy, therefore you should be holy. Don't be like them, right? And we take that, and we've heard little, little snippets, but they've been out, out of the context of the big picture, I believe, and, but they get written on our heart, and so we get a little bit confused when it comes to living in a city, being a part of a culture that's going against everything that we, that we care about, or most things that we care about, or many things, that, I shouldn't say everything, goes against some of the big things that we care about, and we find ourselves going, well, I can't agree with that, like that's, that's not okay, I, I can't get behind that, I need to step back, I need to step back because God said I have to be separate, I gotta be in the world but not of the world, I gotta, I gotta separate myself, I gotta distance myself from that idea because those people, you know, God doesn't want other people to think that I'm like those people, that'd be a bad thing. And so we do it, and we do it because we're trying to fulfill the scriptures, and I, and I want to present to you, I want to suggest to you that we've been, we've been taking those things out of context and we've been misapplying them. So I want to unpack this because here's, a, here's one we know, right? 1 John 2.15, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That's some strong words. And by the way, that word world, it's, it's the world cosmos, okay? That root word right there where it says world, 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 cosmos, cosmos, cosmos. Do not love this setup. Don't, live, don't love this world. Okay, that seems pretty clear. So we're going to reach our cities by hating them, right? I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Isn't it? Anyone? No. Okay, well then, then I'm glad you're at least hesitating a little bit. I, that's good. I think you kind of know where I'm going, so you didn't want to fess up that that's what that looked like. But then you have this. you got to hold it, that scripture in tension with this scripture, John 3.16, for God so loved the world... And that's the exact same word, cosmos. For God so loved the world. So first of all, that's kind of hypocritical, God. I mean, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, <laughs> that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we know as this goes on, it says, because God desires that none should perish. So God's desire is that none should perish. And God so loved the world that he gave his own son. And also as God, he gave his own life because Jesus is, is, this, is, is God. So that's, that seems to me to be a rather strong message that maybe we, maybe we, have, to, we have to take a different look then at, at not loving the world. At what that must mean. So I want to I unpack this concept right here. Because I think this is conceptually, I know there's a lot of other scriptures we could talk about. But for the sake of time and staying on point with this idea. I think this encapsulates the conceptual issue that we run into when we're trying to engage in a practical way of loving our cities. It's because we, we have these key scriptures that sort of are encapsulated. And it's like, I'm not supposed to love the world. How many, how many times, well, let me see. Jesus. Yes, okay, I'm going to finish this thought. Um, how many times have we sort of looked at the application of being good Christians, and we hear these different, um, 
different prophetic words. How many of you have heard a, pro a prophetic word about San Francisco having an earthquake and separating from the United States, sinking into the sea? Seriously, raise your hand. How many of you have heard that prophecy at some point, right? How many of you heard about California being judged by God because of evil, Hollywood, and the pornography that comes out of California? Raise your hand. Seriously. How many of you, yes, strong prophetic words, right? How many of you have heard about that America is ending soon because we've turned from God and we're a bunch of wicked reprobates? How many have heard prophetic words about that? And how many of you are just tired of raising your hands so you're just like, whatever, get to your point? All right, a couple of you. Good. Good. Well, I'm getting there. So here's, here's the deal. That is coming from a misunderstanding of how God works in our day and age. It's coming from this idea that we're supposed to be on the side of God against our cities. And so when like, we, we end up with this philosophical viewpoint that we're like, I can't be a part of a city or a people group or a government or a nation that is doing really, really stupid things. And furthermore, I can't stand with them. I need to distance myself so that they will fail. Because here's the thing. If they succeed, they're going to think they're doing it the right way. Right? They're going to think, like, oh, we're being blessed. We must be getting it right. And we don't want them to do that. We want them to repent because clearly bad things happening is the only way that people will repent. Right? I mean, this starts extrapolating in some really weird ways really quickly. But in, but in practice, a lot of us sort of distance ourselves like, you know what, that city council, they're a bunch of idiots, a bunch of godless idiots. So I'm stepping out of that nonsense. And I'll tell you what, after God brings the hammer and everything they do fails, then they'll know. Then they'll know. When they're all dead because they're so stupid and evil, they'll know. Then they'll know it. Right? When San Francisco sinks into the ocean and they're all dead, be like, see? Right? See? And I'll be like, but I wasn't a part of it. And God will be like, high five. No. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that San Francisco wouldn't sink into the ocean. So he, he's not, and, and even, like, like, let's use Sodom and Gomorrah, because I do think that that picture comes to our mind a lot when we think of cities. It's like, well, I'll tell you about a dirty city. The one that God rained down fire and brimstone on. It was so nasty that when Lot's wife looked at it, she turned to salt. Right? And we're like, that's how God feels about the dirty cities, about the wicked, proud, bad, naughty cities. And I don't want to be standing too close or even looking at the wicked, bad, naughty cities when God cacks it, because he might cack me. So I will distance it. He will not see me looking at the city. I live in the city. I don't even look at the city. I don't even want to see the city. All right? So we're trying to be good little kittens for Jesus. It's true. Like, it's coming from a good place. It's very misguided. But it, it is. It's like, I think that's what he wants. He wants me to not be in with the dirty ones as though I'm giving them permission to be naughty. And so I have to separate myself, okay? Because I don't want them to learn the wrong lesson. Are you guys with me? All right, but let me talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is hanging out. He's God's friend. And God says, shall I not tell my friend what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? Because it has gotten bad. These guys are hurting people really badly. The whole culture is so corrupted at this point that, as we know, the angels go in to get Lot. And the culture sees them. And they're like, mmm, fresh meat. And they want to do things with the angels. And Lot pulls him in the house and says, dude, 
like, this is not good that you're here. Let me protect you. These guys have gone crazy. But here's the thing. I mean, it was that bad is the point. And God's coming in to say, I can't let this go on any further. It's, it's spreading. It's really bad for everybody. And so he says this, Abraham, this is what I'm about to do. And Abraham says, oh, God, holy one, righteous and merciful and true, would you kill the righteous with the wicked? And God says, honestly, I think God was like, like high-five Jesus, like, psh, psh, I told you Abraham would get this. And the Holy Spirit's like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. And he says, okay, Abraham, lay it on me. What are you thinking? And Abraham says, well, it's just that you're really, really good, and I know how you do. So I just don't see you whacking righteous people as collateral damage when you're bringing the hammer on the wicked. A lot of us actually believe that God is so committed to punishing evil right now that he would kill us as collateral damage. On a practical level, it's just like, man, we got we to gotta get out of there because God's going to drop the hammer and he doesn't care. He just, <laughs> think about this. That's, are you with me? Did I go too far? Are you, get, are you connecting the dots here? Like, he is really good. So he says to Abraham, all right, Abraham, what do you think? Abraham says, if there's 10, well, he narrows it all the way down to 10. I think he starts at 50, right? 50. He says, if there's 50 people in that city, would you destroy it? And God goes, for 50 righteous people, and I'm going to go somewhere with this, but for 50 righteous people, I won't do it. And he narrows it all the way down to 10. For 10 righteous people in this city, I will not destroy that city. Do you catch the, the, the amount of confidence God has in us and what we can do even in a wicked city, especially in a wicked city? He goes, Abraham, if there's 10 righteous people in that city, I won't destroy it for two reasons. Number one, you get it. I want you to advocate for the city. I want you to pray for the peace of the city. I want that city to prosper. You think I take glory in killing a bunch of people? I don't want this to happen. Give me 10 people. Let's see what I'll do, Right? That's the power of 10 advocates in one city. Well, he can't find 10 advocates, unfortunately. But you see God's heart. There was only one person in that city, and God went in and rescued that one person. But the moral of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not that God brings down fire on cities. It's that God is looking for advocates in cities. And what I think is sad about Sodom and Gomorrah was that everyone else had either left or joined the culture. There weren't any advocates. If there'd have been nine more people like Lot, they'd have saved the whole city. Lot was the only one. It says Lot in Hebrews. It says righteous Lot, who was grieved in his heart over the injustice that he saw in his city. Righteous Lot, he was there grieving, loving Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't that beautiful? Are you guys catching this? All right. So God loves cities. God loves cities. He weeps over Jerusalem. He reasons with Sodom and Gomorrah. He sends messengers to Nineveh. That's a story of a man who hated his city. Jonah, he hated those guys. He was mad at God because he's like, God, you're just going to save them. I hate them. They're corrupt and horrible, and I want you to fry them. And you're going to send me here with this message, and I know what you're going to do. They're going to repent. You're going to be like, I forgive you. I don't want that. I don't want to be associated with those knuckleheads. They're going to think they did it right. Their city is going to prosper. If you kill them, 
then they'll know. <laughs> All right, so, so we have that scripture. Do not love the world, okay? First John, we, we referenced a moment ago. But then we have Jesus saying, for God so loved the world. And it's the exact same world. So what is the, what is the breakdown here? The breakdown is we're talking about context, because 1 John is all about love, guys. It's all about a new command I give you, love others as much as God loved you. The whole thing is an upgrade of how to love. But in the midst of it, he says, do not love the world or anything in it. And he, and he unpacks it. He says, for everything in the world. So there's a context. It's the framework. It's how the world does things. It's the world system. And here it is. He lays it out. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world, and the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of, the, of God lives forever. The context is what we hate in this world is the world system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In a word, humanism. It's the kingdom of self. This world runs on the kingdom of self. Even the altruistic things that are done short-term have to do with survival and feeling good about myself or at least alleviating my own conscience and being my own savior to say, well, I'm good enough. I'm good enough to feel good enough. I've done this, but honestly, it's because I need to feel some kind of value, so I'm actually trying to carve out my own value. I don't have time to go into the philosophy behind that, but it's the kingdom of self. You guys with me? It's the kingdom of self, and he's saying, you have to hate the kingdom of self. If you're your own savior, if you think you're smart enough and big enough and clever enough and all that other stuff enough, you're either going to lower the standard all the way down to your current level of practice or you're going to become a total legalist and be like, I'm so much better than everyone else. And eventually you will kill whole swaths of people who are lower than your standard. We've seen that. We've seen that in communism. It's a totally reasonable outcome of a revolution for the good of people, but you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Stalin. Right? So that is the framework. When you take it down to its core, that's what he's saying. You have to hate this world and its systems in that way. You can't embrace it. And Jesus came and said, listen, listen, if you want to follow me, it's a whole new system. You give good gifts to your family, great. The world system does that. I want you to give good gifts to people that don't even like you. So he's upgrading. He's saying you got to break from that. So are you guys, are you, are you hearing this? That, it, that the Bible is actually saying it is okay to love your city. Is that connecting? How many of you, is this speaking to something for some of us in the area of like, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly kind of gauging here. Have there been some of us that have struggled with like, is it actually okay for me to, you know, love, love my city? Anyone? So you were already all fine. Okay, good, a few of you. Thank you. Well, the rest of you, enjoy. Just enjoy. Just pray for us. We're coming along. But I believe this is huge because the truth is not only is it okay for us to love our city, it's the way that God extends the kingdom. We are salt and light in our cities. We are the preservative in our cities. We are the forward motion. We are the advocates. We are the mothers and fathers. We are the ones that are called to love people that don't like us. It's perfectly normal in the world system to love people that like you. I think right now the best expression of that is politics. Right? It's like, I can't work with that person. They're on the other side of the political aisle. Well, yeah, we both want to work on this same project, but they vote this way on that other stuff. You guys are really quiet. Is it? Is it oh, is it a political season right now? Anyway. Um, okay, so you guys are with me. All right. So he says this. 
I want you to pray and seek the prosperity of the city. God has called us to seek the prosperity, the peace and prosperity of the city. And that word that he uses is shalom. It's a complex word. It's so big and it's so all-inclusive that the English doesn't have a, a direct word for it that we can, like this is the best one so far because at least we found two words to stick in there. But here's what shalom says. This is shalom. You're praying for the shalom of the city, the completeness and soundness, the welfare and peace, every area of, of, of infrastructure and business and everything that's need. It's complete in number. All the people that belong in my city are in my city. Safety and soundness in the individuals in the city, in their bodies, the welfare and health and prosperity of the city and the people, the peace and quiet and tranquility and contentment. The Lord rebuke you, class warfare. The Lord rebuke you, classism. Are you catching this? We're praying for it. We're praying for it. We're praying for the peace and friendship of people working together as they bring their strengths and their weaknesses to the table. We're praying for friendship with God, especially in covenant relationship, the shalom. And we're praying for peace from war. We're praying from peace as an actual adjective, like I'm bringing peace to you. You're bringing peace to me. We're to pray this for our cities. God, let your shalom be upon our cities. And this is how God has actually called us to act for as long as we're in exile. And you say, but we're not in exile. But actually the Lord says, I want you to live as foreigners, those that are in exile. I want you to live here extending my kingdom, knowing that you live in an already not yet kingdom. Knowing that as long as I tarry, I'm wanting to bring people into my kingdom. And how do I want them to do that? I want them to do that as they see you serving your cities. As they see you as salt and light in your cities. Did you guys know that cities are made of people? I know, right? That's an interesting one. Because it's easy to kind of separate it. Like, well, there's some good people here. But Eugene is liberal and crazy. Man, screwing everything up. Portland. You guys vote and then everything just goes to garbage. I hate you, weirdies. You can be weird, but you shouldn't be able to vote. You got too many people. But God says, oh, I love Portland. Oh, oh, Portland. And he speaks to our brothers and sisters in Portland and he says, hey, here's how I want you to serve because I love this city. And I'll tell you guys great news. There's a whole lot more than 10 people in Portland that love Jesus. There's a whole lot more than 10 people in Junction City that love Jesus. And there's a whole lot more people in our surrounding areas in Cheshire and, and in Harrisburg and in Eugene and Springfield. And you know what? We have friends. There's more than 10 people in this room. And God says, boy, if I got these guys and if they catch it, it's just a matter of time before these cities begin to experience my shalom. And the children of these cities begin to go, God is good. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. So what would it look like if we began to engage this? What would it look like for us to love our cities? Well, we do it through loving. And we show our love by serving. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But we know that Jesus, God, came to earth, stripped down to a towel, and washed the disciples' feet. Now, we do that symbolically now because we're like, oh, that's so humble. Like, I'm showing that I'm a good servant leader by washing this already extraordinarily clean foot. Because we have very clean feet now. Because we wear closed-toe shoes and we have sidewalks and roads. This was a time when, you know, Jason talked about some time ago that Jesus, you know, kicked a chicken. Because there were. I don't know if you know what happens when chickens are running around. 
You ever had the business between your toes from a chicken? Perhaps I digress. But Jesus went into that room and he puts on a towel and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Not because he was trying to make a great symbolic victory alone, but he was saying, you dudes got dirty feet. They were the dirtiest thing in the room was their feet. They're all covered in dust. They're wearing sandals. They're open toe. There's horses and chariots going around. All right? He's like, Timothy, come on. Every pile? All right? So he washes their feet because it was a real need in that room. He did the thing that needed done. He met a real need. And then he said this. He wraps himself in a towel of vulnerability. He gets down on his knees, and he does the actual thing that's needed in the room. And then he says this, as God on earth, you do likewise. This is how I'm saving cities. So let's take a look at what that might look like. This is the Portland story. Portland, Oregon is among the least churched parts of the country. It's a very politically progressive place, as our city leaders say. So what does it look like to proclaim the good news, to live out the good news in a holistic way in a place like that? One of the cool things that's happening in Portland is that there's a genuine sense of relationship among the pastors. I think the collaborative spirit that we have and just this kind of nature of friendships among pastors and churches is really unique to the Portland story. It's really allowing the church to be the church. Um, and we're actually being viewed as a resource, which we know we are and we ought to be. People are receiving love and receiving Jesus. And it was all because we just really wanted to serve. There are about 4,000 volunteers who plugged into Compassion Clinics last year. Um, and there's about 200 churches represented by those volunteers. And the Palau Association has been, I would say, one of the biggest encouragers of our nonprofit organization. You know, they had the idea for CityServe in 2008 and they came to us and saw a, a model in a small neighborhood that was working and they said will you share that model with other communities around the portland metro area they had the means to shed a light on something that works and help it replicate embrace oregon is an idea it's a movement and it really started with the idea that the community could come alongside with something tangible for children in this most vulnerable time of waiting. And the response that we got through this Welcome Box initiative was just so completely overwhelming. To see how God has used not only fostering those children and learning just how to love them and, and how special they are, but also doing renovations and remodels and foster parent nights out and all that stuff. And God kind of blew it up into this, this huge thing. It's been incredible that less than a year later, there are 72 churches in the Portland metro area that are saying, we at some capacity are committed to shining a spotlight on the needs of child welfare. How in the world can we connect all 471 schools in this greater Portland area with at least one church partner that says, that's my school. One of the first things I was told about Oregon was it was one of the most unchurched states in the nation. 
And so to my surprise to come and see a church working on a school campus in this community was a bit of a shocker. In these two years, uh, we've been able to identify about 250 of those schools that have a church that's you know, raised their hand and said, that one's mine. It's evolved into years later from an act of service to an ongoing relationship. It's provided stability in, in a community that typically, you know, experiences turnover, but to see that this has remained steady is, is a gift and a blessing. We want every school to know, hey, I've got this one, two, three, four church partners that I know I can count on. They're, they're part of what we're doing here. They're part of this school community. We work with uh, 1145, which is a collaboration of several churches where we put grandmas and uh, young people and older folks, it's whoever's willing to walk in what we call hot spots. And we just kind of lovingly walk in those areas, uh, talk with people, make friends, pray, and it serves as a deterrent to, to uh, prevent some of the uh, activities that would go on uh, in, in those type of areas. It can also provide support and help to um, at-risk, uh, underprivileged young men and women to try to give them a better chance to succeed in life and ultimately come to know Christ. If we're not here to fix Portland, that, that would just be overly tiresome. We are here to display the love of God. The greatest way to soften hearts for the gospel is to be in relationship with people. We have to genuinely know them. They need to know us. It takes time, it takes energy. Jesus modeled that for us. Every weekend we see uh, people come to Jesus in our services, but most of the people we see come to Jesus on the weekends are because they came during the week and we ministered to them. We have relationships with these people and they've seen that we love them by our actions. And so then we stand up and talk about Jesus they actually believe the words. Churches are together saying, what does Portland look like in 20 years if we are together for the gospel? All together we are the body, not just my individual local church, but all of us together. We're the body of Jesus in this city. And that has just really helped a lot of pastors see not a competitive mindset, but really an abundance mindset where we're, we're, we're partnering together. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've never really seen pastors work that closely together nor have that type of working relationship with our, with our city. I think we're just scratching the, the surface as far as what we can do in collaboration. The longer we do it, the quicker real movement type of outcomes happen. The years that it took to, to organize the public school kind of ministries where churches working with, took several years to really get that running. Where foster care was 18 months from three couples 72 churches, you know, 18 months. So that's powerful. You realize when the church is mobilized, it really is an unstoppable force. Come on, give God praise. So I'm just about to uh, share with you a, uh, an excerpt of scripture from the... Uh, the JHV, which is a, a translation of the Bible that's currently underway, and so you'll be honored to, to hear from that. But what we're dreaming about, what we're called to, what we're doing together, what God has called us to do for the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole city requires, first of all, that we understand what God is doing. 
The sons of Issachar understood the times that they were in. We're called to understand the times that we're in, not the end times where we start departing and running out of our cities and trying to find places where we can feel safe, but rather we begin to understand like, oh, that's so dark. Let's plant a church there. You see, we are the salt and the light, but here's the thing, guys. This, this is worth dying for. Jesus said this is worth dying for. John 3.16 says, this is what I died for. I died for people, and people live in cities. I died for cities. And I want you, because I was willing to die for it, I want you to live for cities. I want you to live for the things that I died for, because you found something worth living for. Now, it's going to require intentionality. It's going to require for us to fully understand and embrace the kingdom. So that we understand that nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to him. Our time, our finances, all things are his. And so then we take those time and those talents and those finances and we say, Lord, how then can I live in line with your heartbeat towards cities? And we'll, we'll unpack that more and more. But I just want to tell you where we're going. But it changes the way that we view our cities and we start to understand. And we rejoice when we send missionaries to other cities. We're like, oh, what are you guys doing now? We get the newsletter. Oh, they're planting some businesses so they can get out of poverty. Go, guys. Woo. And then it's like, oh, they're, they're, they're creating a school so that the people can learn to read and they'll know how to read the Bible. And then also they won't be illiterate and then they won't be a third world country after some time. And we're like, yes, the kingdom is expanding. And then we're like, oh, and look, they're, they're teaching them how to get along with each other. And they're getting rid of lifelong tribalism. And so people aren't killing each other. And they're not going extinct. They're actually starting to grow. And they're starting to understand government. And then, oh, this is so good. What a great mission. And then we get to our town. And we're like, man, you better get out of that city. That place is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> What's the difference? There is no difference. The mission is the city, wherever it is. And so we have cities. So I, wanna, I want you to listen. Jason's going to read this, this scripture to you. And then I'm going to give us a point of engagement today that's coming up that's, that's very soon. So this is an excerpt from the, uh, the JHV. Oops. If, yes, we're good. Sorry. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am an offbeat djembe in an on-campus drum circle. And if I have prophetic powers and can give words of knowledge to make disturbed tattoo artists weep, and I have the faith enough to see the paralyzed veterans dance from their wheelchairs but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient with the city and kind to those who do not yet know Christ. Love does not envy the regions where worship of Jesus is more culturally acceptable. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful when the register guard writes a hit piece on the sorry state of the church. Nor does it rejoice at the erosion of moral boundaries that the church has always held to. Love bears all things, the hurts of the broken, the gripes of the bitter, the tears of the disillusioned. Love believes all things in the promises of God and the bright futures of those contemplating suicide. Love hopes all things, all the visions for the salvation and prosperity of this region. Love endures all things, all insults, all false accusations and suspicions that come with being a religious minority. Love never fails. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. And I reasoned that I, as a follower of Christ, ought to be right above all things. But now, 
I have put childish things away. Faith, hope, and love are far better and more effectual than being correct or powerful. And the greatest of these is love. Come on. So a little tongue-in-cheek, you know, the Jason Haig version. Come on. The JHV. So we are called to direct our lives. Wait, hang on. We are called to direct the lives that the Father has given us unto the purposes of the Father in our cities. So the, there's two things that, are, that I want to ask that we would do. Number one, on May 13th, I want to ask for at least, well, honestly, how about just everybody that's here shows up, tell Janelle you're coming first, for the Foster Family Carnival. This is a way that we can engage. It's a small thing. It's a day where we come and serve foster care families as they're meeting a true need of the most vulnerable in our area. And we provide an amazing day where they just come into a safe, beautiful context and get to play all kinds of games and bounce on bounce houses and climb rock walls and win prizes and eat yummy food. Um, but we need to be a part of that because we wanna, we wanna foster that. We get to come and create that, that environment at Camp Harlow on the 13th. So I'm asking that we show up in force and serve. Get our towel out. Wash some beautiful little feet. Does that sound good? And part of that um, is that I would like for us also, we, we did take, we're, we've got some money designated from the general fund, but we also need to raise a little bit more, more money because we're covering this. It's zero cost to the foster care families. And DHS has invited every single foster care family in our area to come so that we can love on them and encourage them and thank them for being in service of the orphans and, at the, and the at-risk and the vulnerable in our cities. So I think we'll hear Dad's heartbeat while we're washing these beautiful little feet. You think? So what I'd like to do is for those of you that would like to sew into this particular event, I want to make that available today because we do want to be able to just cover all of that. So we're going to have the ushers just pass the, uh, uh, have them pass the little baskets. And, um, and uh, actually, I lost the mic. Where is it? Jason, will you grab me the mic? Josh Davis is just going to pray over this event. And, um, and, uh, and then we're going to uh, also have the prayer ministry team come up in just a moment. If you need healing in your body, if you need encouragement, if you need a, a, a prophetic word, please come and let the, servant, the prayer servant team come and bless you. And uh, Joshua, why don't you go ahead and pray over this event and over us. <laughs> Josh is carrying um, just a powerful uh, part of dad's heart uh, in this area. And as you may not know, but Josh and Carly have now become... Um, foster care parents for children who need him. And uh, we also give glory to God, um, Josh Guth and his wife Nikita, also of First Fruits. And then many of you that are already a part of this house, you've already been leading the charge. Um, so I just want to feature this uh, in this part because I feel like God just keeps sort of manifesting through Josh's prayers in some ways that I feel like needs to touch our own heart. So that's why I've called him up here. I want to give honor to every, every mother and father that's already answered this call. God bless you. God bless you. Just a word of warning. I respond by crying most of the time. So, <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you for your heart for orphans, Father. Mm -hmm. Thank you for giving us your heart for the orphans 
for these kids who are in these uh, shaky and uncertain circumstances. I pray that you will inspire us and bless us with an ability to be a firm place, a firm and safe place for these kids. I want to pray a blessing specifically over this foster um, carnival thing, um, that, that your presence would be there, that, um, that parents, foster parents who feel like maybe they're at the end of their rope and are even thinking about maybe quitting or moving on to the next thing, that you will gird them, that you will support them, that they will catch a fresh wind and, and suddenly realize that what they're doing is they are rescuing. They are helping you rescue precious treasure. I pray for the health and wellness of these kids, of the parents involved, of the, of the families. I pray that there will be a surge of, of training for the parents who can get their kids back and can love them the right way and give them the original family that you gave them. And where that doesn't work, I pray that the new family can become a seamless original family. Father, thank you for this work that you're starting. <laughs> I'm really happy to be a part of it. We love you, Lord. We give you our best. We bring you our best and our all. Mm -hmm. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, with, with God, there are no orphans. There are only sons and daughters. We are all sons and daughters of our good Father. And we all get to serve in making that a reality for children who don't know that. And we ourselves have at one time or another whether we were an adult or younger, have been children that didn't know that. If you are here and you have not yet encountered the reality of the love of this great father and known that you are truly his child, I want to invite you today to believe that because he will come into your life and show you things that you could only dream were true. But in fact, it's not a dream. You're his son. You're his daughter. And he's done everything for you. Come home. So if you're taking a step today, come and pray with the prayer servant team. They want to bless you in that journey. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Oh, we'll see you Wednesday. <laughs>